All right, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm Paul Randack. I'm your host today of the Bozo Roundtable. We are back. We're going to go around and introduce ourselves, Monsieur Brady. <laughs> hey, this is Brady. <laughs> Hi, Brady. Hi. Hi, Brady. Uh, Brent Hansen, semi-professional race car driver. <laughs> so it's an extra tip. What were you last time we did? Ta- were you a tattooer? Amateur tattooer. Amateur tattooer. Okay. I'm liking this one. Professional. Semi. Semi-professional. What kind of... Never mind. Okay. And I'm just Sarah. Robotham. Just Sarah. Yeah. Better make a note of that. Yep, just Sarah. Just Sarah. That, sound, that sounds like it's TV sitcom. Just Sarah. It could be. <laughs> oh, it does sound just like a TV sitcom. It does sound like a TV sitcom. Okay, so coming soon to a network near <laughs> you. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Glad you're here today. Um, this will. This is kind of a spontaneous one. I know we talked about doing this a couple of weeks ago, but we hadn't planned on doing one until... Um, the two uh, amigos had gotten back from their trip. The world travelers. The world travelers, yeah, from your uh, sabbatical. Sorry. <laughs> That's not a trip. It's a sabbatical. Sabbatical. But I'm um, glad this worked out and glad you guys are here. Um, this week was supposed to be uh, Michaela Mathis, but uh, she didn't show up yesterday, so. <laughs> Call that on air. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here instead, which is actually just great. And it's a incredible winter, beautiful winter day out there. We got snow, the resorts are all open, people are skiing. Went skiing up Brighton on Friday. You did go skiing did. on Friday. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I heard it was wonderful yeah, up there. And awesome. Alta's got, uh, they opened with one run, on I think, on Friday, and mm. now they have three or four now. So it's, it's open. good stuff. The other areas are opening up fast. So anyway, if you're not doing too, something too much, you know, and you want to come out and enjoy the beautiful snow of Utah, it resorts are open and the snow is groomed. Mm. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> lovely. You got into like your like like salesman-y bag there, Paul. Like, I don't <laughs> well, it's is that our, day trader, Paul? Yeah, it is day trader. No. <laughs> I was a stockbroker for anyway. No, that talk about embarrassing moments. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, which I did have a number there as well. We are going to talk about embarrassing moments today, but we're not going to start off with that. Um, our first topic is going to be just Sarah. <laughs> just Sarah. <laughs> no. We're going to talk Please about Please join Sarah. us. <laughs> yeah, right. Next week's episode. <laughs> now, what was the first topic going to be today? Um, was that going to be the... Uh you want to surround yourself with people who want the best for you. Oh, yeah. Let's start with that. Okay. Which is part, um, it is rule three in the book Brady and Brent and I are currently reading for book club, which is the 12 Rules of Life by Jordan B. Peterson. And so that is the topic. Okay. So, <laughs> so the, 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 there are 12 rules, I'm guessing, right? 12 rules. Right. right. And Correct. the third one is... Um, I'm summarizing. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it's called, but yeah, something, a uh, point being surround yourself with people who want the best for you opposed to people who may want to, you know, be better than you or resent you if you're your best self. Um, or feel, feel better about themselves. If they, they, they'll feel better if putting, they put you down. Uh, um, okay. Or maybe if you're improving yourself, they feel threatened. Those are some examples of. True. Or the times maybe when we've done that. 
to other people as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah, we like to call them the dragger downers. And when I've done that. <laughs> well, I thought that was interesting. In book club, we were having the conversation on it, and three out of five vocalized this innate reaction that oh that's me <laughs> that's me <laughs> that's me i'm the i'm the guy i'm the dragger which downer. we dubbed the dragger downer. The, oh the debbie uh, downer the dragger downer yeah yeah, yeah, like it. yeah. Mm-hmm. and that was my like initial reaction that's what i went to i was like oh, maybe that's me uh, but it's funny because i stopped and i paused and i was like you know i don't believe that's me but i just thought it was so funny that's what I, i'm i'm <laughs> well i don't i mean it's i think it's a human it's it's something very human that you know we often if we feel scared or feel like we're not doing well we may want other people around us maybe to not do so well either if we you know, I, I don't i mean i'm not saying that's healthy or a positive or productive way to think but i, I guess i wouldn't be surprised if People did that from time to time, so mm-hmm. you know. But to think that's you all the time, I think that's a little irrational. For sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think the um, the other side to it too is is you know we we went to the place like oh am I the one that's dragging other people down around me? But the other part of that too is uh, being mindful of who you're surrounding yourself with. And are they dragging you down? You know, not so much internalizing like, am I the dragger downer? But am I am I continuing to associate myself with people who don't want the best for me, um, or who are are bringing me down? And why am I continuing in those relationships? You know, is do, again, it's that concept of what, what am I trying to rescue this person, or am I? What is it that I that I get out of it? Is because they're because they're in a bad spot. If I associate myself with them, I feel better about myself. Um, and that, that validates me as being a, a martyr or, or somebody that's, you know, um, virtuous because I'm trying to help this person. And what, what really are my motives there? Are my motives there because if I can focus my energy on, on this post person, I don't have to focus it on myself. A little bit and, that, that and, and it still keeps you and it still keeps you down, you know, essentially, because you're not um, being the best person that you can be. Uh, all in all, in a kind of a vain attempt to try to help somebody else, and it, and I like the concept in the book where he says maybe you should you should think about is the best thing for me to just move on, uh, get my get myself together and lead by example as opposed to try to rescue this person. So that's a that's a great question. Yeah. What would be best in your your eyes, or at least in the way you're thinking about that now? Well, it, yeah, I think that would be best, but definitely not the easiest by any means, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I look, at, I look in back at my life and some of the relationships that I've been in, and ones that uh, I, you know, continue on with, even though I know this relationship isn't good for me. Um, but you know, it's because you know, oh, this person needs me. This person needs my help. You know, I have to. I can. I can help this person. When really uh, was all that energy again just trying to to force me not to have to look at myself and and take action that I needed to take to make myself better because I could I could validate my continuing down a, a bad path because oh well, I'm I'm at least better than this person I I got to be here to help help this person okay and and that, that seems that that seems practical um, that we don't want to focus too much of our, our energy or, or, or outwardly worrying about someone else being okay 
um, as a distraction to not work on ourselves right. or to not deal with issues that we have. But the idea that I'm using, I'm going back to Debbie Downer, but you didn't say that. You said, what was it? Drag her downer. Drag her downer. Drag her downer. <laughs> Drag her downer. So I want to do that in a get her done voice. Drag her downer. Drag her downer. <laughs> okay. Um, so how do we distinguish when someone do you think is like that in, in your life? How do you identify that? that? Um, is it just someone who is talking, you know, negative or projecting negativity on you or wishing you were always something you weren't? How, how do you see that this this comes about? How do you would you identify it? I think for me, at least recently, it was um, a person that was that was in addiction as well, you know, and so. um I know that, uh, you know, trying to be um, living a life of, of recovery and being sober, continuing to associate myself who can, with someone who continues to engage in, addicti- in, 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 in their addiction, um, that's a clear sign to me that that's not a good, a good place to, <laughs> to, to put your energy in, right? But again, uh, it's a lot easier said than done to, to just to sever, sever those ties. So I think that, and then just the overall, um, I think we can all get a, have an appreciation for when somebody's just their, their, their aura or their energy is just negative, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you can feel that. And, and although you care and you care for this person and you love this person, if, if their aura and their energy all the time is just a place of negativity and, and a place of uh, being a victim to, to everything that's going around uh, in their lives, then that's a sign to me that that's probably not a good place to, to put my energy into. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I definitely resonate with that part. And we kind of talked about that a little bit today earlier. But um, for me, it took the person who I have in mind, who I had to recognize as being the dragger downer in my life, it took me getting to a place of self-love before I was able to recognize that that person was basically, you know, Mm -hmm. dragging me down or very negative. I think I could see pieces of it um, in my life, pieces of negativity. And I definitely, I felt that negative aura constantly almost, but it became so just normalized like it just this person was in my life for a long time and I I feel that it just became the norm and I just kind of settled in with it and I was just almost like being comfortable I mean yeah I, I was literally saying? almost well and it's weird because I was comfortable by never but I was never comfortable <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, got, I, 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 I never felt comforted mm-hmm. in it I never felt comfortable I never felt totally at ease but yet it just seemed like it, it was it. what it was. You yeah, at that point. It. Yeah, I got okay. used to it. And it just, and when, some, you know, things started shifting in my life and my perspectives on myself started shifting, that was the first time it was a huge eye-opener red flag um, that, wow, this per I don't, I always thought this person wanted nothing but the best for me, but I don't know if they do. And that's not because they're a bad person, but because I don't think the view, their view of themselves is very positive. Mm-hmm. And so to see me, you know, rising up and building up and 
finding happiness and finding love for myself, uh, meeting other people and surrounding myself with people that were positive to them, I believe at least felt like a threat. Like come back to my level, you know, don't, (laughs) you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to make changes to get to where you are. So I want you to come back down here. Isn't this, though, isn't this kind of based upon the story we tell in our head? You know, the stories, the narrative that we have. So if we have a certain kind of narrative, we may, we we may feel more comfortable with someone if we have a negative a narrative about ourselves, right? Definitely. So I think to distinguish mm-hmm. between this, it depends on the narrative, the internal dialogue, and the narrative that we have. Mm-hmm. So as we become healthier within our narrative, so as my my narrative becomes healthier, one that isn't so much maybe would stand out more, and I would be more aware of it. So maybe that's part of this process, exactly. too, because right. at least that's what I'm kind of hearing. You, that's that's what was going through my mind, yes. uh, Sarah, when uh, you were saying that was that you're, it sounded like your narrative began to change and the way you thought about yourself. And all of a sudden you noticed a contrast between how you thought we're thinking now or then and then how this other person was thinking. Exactly. And so it, it, it stood out. Yeah, exactly. For the first time, it although nothing the dynamic with them hadn't changed. It was just myself that had changed. And it made me yeah. realize that I wasn't, I was no longer okay or comfortable with that dynamic or narrative I had written for myself and set myself up for and been okay with for a long time. So again, I don't think that the dragger downer is necessarily <laughs> always ill-intentioned or a bad person. I believe that a lot of times it just has to do with themselves and how they project that onto others. I don't, I don't believe that people always mean, you know, they don't have ill will towards others all the time. I I don't believe that, but it, it can come across that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really good point in a couple other areas. I mean, just giving feedback to somebody, if I'm not feeling good about myself, I may project that onto the other person. Right. So, which is, why you know um objectivity is really one of the hardest things to do because it's so difficult to be objective about you know often talking or projecting or giving feedback to someone else because we have our own story running in our heads at the same time you know which may have at least in my head at times there's a bunch of gobbledygook going on in there that really doesn't make sense of anything it's just kind of running in the background and it kind of comes out at times and all of a sudden i notice oh and and then and just like right now. <laughs> like right now. We're all trying to spit out what we're thinking and can't get it out. <laughs> no, but, the, I, you know, who, to choose who we hang around with definitely, I think, is based in our narrative. So if, we, if we're attracted to people that, um, that don't pick us up, it's probably because we have a narrative or I have a narrative that doesn't believe that I deserve that or, I really, you know, on some level, maybe I don't want it. You know, and and that that kind of fits back into some of the old things we, some of the things we've talked about in the past, like learned helplessness. As our narrative becomes more engaged and, and more mindful and more empowered, then and, and more true or authentic, even mm-hmm. I guess is, is is a way to express that. Then the people that we attract will also maybe resonate in that way. So I don't know. Yeah, I found that to be true. Well, I mean, I think we all spoke today when we discussed this um, at our book club a little earlier 
trying to think, okay, so do we hang out with people? Do we surround ourselves with those, with people that, you know, don't have our best, you know, intentions uh, in place? But it was pretty cool listening to where we all are currently. We could all think of people from our past that we've done that with, Mm -hmm. but none of us could think of someone that we have currently, at least that's a main part of our lives. There were a couple of us, including myself, who <clears throat> have people that are, are still acquaintances, you know, people I see maybe once a year at friend gatherings and stuff. That, mm-hmm. But overall, none of us could really think of someone that we surround ourselves with on a regular basis who have that impact on us. And hopefully that means that we just have all kind of... We're all, we're all enlightened. We're all enlightened, <laughs> genuine, authentic individuals now mm-hmm. that are fixed. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a lot of beginner's mind. (laughs) (laughs) All teachable. (laughs) So, uh, this goes back to, I think the other side of this is when scorekeeping comes in, right? So, I know, no, I'm just going to talk about me, but I know that at times, and I would say, I'm going to guess it may happen every day, I'm not sure. I probably haven't been that mindful about it all the time. But the idea of keeping score on someone else. Um, And this is sort of the the person that maybe we're we're talking about within ourselves. And again, this being a human trait. So what what do you guys notice? What do you, anyone, I mean, without saying people's names, but do you notice someone that you maybe keep score of their inventory a lot, whether it be a family member, a parent, an ex, those kinds of things that you you may find yourself kind of, hmm, yeah, well, you know, what are they doing now and what did they do? And all those kinds of things associated with, um, you know, wanting to keep an inventory of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do, you, you, okay. you, you, I didn't good. think of that until as you were describing it. I was like, I don't do that. <laughs> oh crap, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, I notice it at times, and <clears throat> I go, oh, you know, why am I doing that? What yeah. is my payoff for doing that? Yeah, that's a good yeah, question. That's true. Yeah, I. When am I taking other people's inventory yeah. or keeping a scorecard on them? And, you know, ultimately, I mean, it's because I want them to play a certain role in my story, in my narrative, in my own narrative, in my head. I want them to play a certain role in there, whether it's sort of, you know, the bad guy or something like that. Well, I'm trying to think. I do it on both sides of the equation. I was saying, I, you know, there are some people that I'll look at and I will look at what they have and be envious like oh oh yeah they have that's a good example this and I should have that or I'll look at people on the other side of that and be like look at where I'm at and right. and where they're at yeah. oh yeah like well, yeah they really aren't happy because money can't you know buy happiness I mean whatever the whatever the the dick move I'm gonna say in my head right you know justify that that and, and tell a story about about that or that person right yeah. Yeah, I feel like this. I wonder how many people have stories about you guys going to Hawaii for six weeks. I mean, come on. Someone's <laughs> got to be Debbie Downer out there about that. How the fuck are did these secret- guys get to are go you- and do that for are six weeks? Are you secretly weeks? harboring resentment? I, I was just going to say, I'm, that's I am, I'm not really me. Upset are you projecting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, me too. <laughs> 
you know that you know that point no. ties into the fourth rule in the book. I feel like that we were reading today, which is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, because we are so quick to fall victim to looking at other people and comparing ourselves to them and their accomplishments, what they mm-hmm. have. But there's so many elements that make up where someone is. So many different, you know, you're not them. You don't, you don't, you're only seeing one little um, thing amplified in your interaction with them. And then you're assuming that because that's attractive, their whole life is amazing. And, you know, you want to be this or you compare yourself to this. And instead of doing the rational, logical approach, which is taking a look at yourself. And he says one thing we that initially when he said it in the book, it was kind of like, he says, set the bar low enough. <laughs> and when you think of yourself yesterday, right? Like, set the bar low enough so that you can have marketed, you know, marked improvement sure. with, with each day. Um, you know, and it, that takes some honesty to sit back and, you know, take a look at what are, you know, these little things that aren't going to put me on cloud nine but it will make my environment and my day better and how can I build on that kind of a kind of approach but the only rational thing you're the perfect control for the experiment because you are you it doesn't make sense to compare myself to Paul or to Sarah or to Brent it's really who am I and where am I at now or yesterday right and how can I move forward from that but the mindset is so easy especially with things like social media and that kind of stuff to look and get lost in fantastical like these you know fantasies about someday waking up and having all that without the journey or whatever your path might look like fascinating yeah I like that yeah it was weird I think so yeah I like it too yeah um so with so this is the next chapter and 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 it's about instead of um, but I guess maybe I don't understand the uh, the concept that, that about you know live like live as if it's yesterday. What, what, what was no, the, no um, compare yourself. Compare yourself. Compare yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so compare if you're yourself. looking to progress. Yeah, yeah. So Sorry, and, and how does how does okay? You, did you want to explain talk more? Oh, about that? Uh, because, no, I just say instead of comparing yourself to somebody else, compare yourself to who you are today versus where you were yesterday. I see. So it's okay. really more about self progression as opposed to uh, this person out there has this, and I'm down here, so I feel bad about myself because I don't have that. Mm-hmm. But if you look, at least for me personally, I can look back at uh, even um, a year ago and where I was at in my life. And compare that progress that I feel like I've made as a person, as a human being, outside of uh, maybe materialistic stuff or whatever. Um, I'm a lot. I look back at who I was, and I'm like, man, I did a, I did some good progress. You know, pat myself on the shoulder a little bit, as opposed to like looking at somebody, um, somebody else, and comparing myself to where they're at. Because, like Brady said, we're all unique individuals. We're all unique people, and to compare ourselves to other people is is irrational. You know? So instead, look at yourself. Get a lot of mileage out of it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Not healthy mileage, necessarily. No, not healthy. Because usually, what happens? You end up feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. You, you look at something. Somebody might have something that you value, or um, that you think. Uh, 
yeah, that you value. And because you don't have that, then you look, you start to feel bad about yourself. But then if you look at where you've come from and the progress that you've made in your life, you know, and where you're going to go forward, that's much more productive, much more healthy than comparing yourself to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So going back, is that score keeping on yourself? That's a good point. Um, I guess it could be, but I think it's a healthy kind of scorekeeping. Right, but I mean, know? or it could be a negative scorekeeping if you're taking into account all the things that you don't, yeah. that you haven't accomplished. It depends on so, the I mean, intention. So you can score keep on yeah. other people or on yourself. It depends on the intention of scorekeeping. Yeah. Scorekeeping can't be black and white either. I mean, it has no. to be based upon the intention because you could, you could keep score of someone's successes. You know, and, and point that out to them and, and not necessarily not always av- avoiding, you know, necessarily the mistakes. Um, but anyone who makes a mistake pretty much knows they've made a mistake for the most part. OK, I, I get there times that it may just whoop, go right over the head, you know, like, what was the problem with that? <laughs> and then my brain goes, well, let me count the ways, you know, and that's scorekeeping. Right. So, um, I mean, there can be objective feedback in there, too. That's not necessarily negative as long as the intention behind it is to be of service to that person. And this kind of goes back. I'm just going to say this earlier, but I know. So I'm, I'm kind of going back to the, the first topic a little bit. But the idea of it, it always comes back to intention, no, you know, no matter what, what my intention of keeping score is. You know, why why am I doing it? Am I doing it to help am I help myself understand that person better um, to maybe instead of if, if I have a negative bias in some way about them, um, do I and I see everything through that negative bias filter and I want to change that and be more objective, then does it help me to look at the successes that they have had um, to, you know, so that I see them in a different light? And of course, with myself, or when we talk about progress, especially what I think I'm hearing both, uh, what I'm hearing all of you say, is that you you want to look at the progress that we made and see that we the incremental improvements that are made, and and part of that, I guess, you know, even go back to to the the first uh, the chapter three that you were talking about before is that's got to be also based upon the people that we allow into our lives, because if I. I, Mm -hmm. You know, not that everyone throughout my life years ago was a negative influence, but they're definitely I chose to be at times around people that enabled me intention. I intentionally chose to be around people that enabled me in some of my not some of my least best behaviors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good way to put it. Least best is <laughs> least <laughs> the way I sing. Some of my unhealthy behaviors. <laughs> really fucked up shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for bottom lining that. <laughs> okay. Have we beat this one enough? Do you guys want to... you guys want to move on? Yeah. I'm solid. I'm You're solid. Okay. I'll, I'll cut that little, that little part out there. Okay, mindful. We're gonna we were, we wanted to touch upon mindfulness in daily life, and I guess what that kind of looks like because instead of it instead of it being maybe and, and you guys can expound upon this, but what came to my my mind uh, first of all was the idea that being mindful in some of just the everyday average things that I'm doing normally, whether I'm even conscious of doing them or not, but being mindful about them. So you guys brought up brushing teeth. And this is one I've been working on for a while. So I, I'm, I'm, 
I, I know it sounds funny, but um, <laughs> and we should let people know that Brent is, Brent's a dentist mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in one of his well, lives, yeah. in one of his many lives. Um, and so this this notion of brushing teeth and being mindful about it has been echoing around in my household with children for 30 years. And so, you know, I, I found that initially I used to intentionally block it out. I, intentionally. I don't, I mean, I would even say the message that you've got to do this, but I wouldn't necessarily practice it. Until a few years ago, when I started realizing that I'm getting so much older, and and uh, which is funny to say, so much older, I, just a little bit older than I was yesterday. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect execution of Rule Four, Paul. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Jumping right back into Thank that. You. Thank you. You're not old. You're just a, just 12 hours older than I'm you were just, yesterday. I'm just 12 hours so older you feel better than about I was yourself? yesterday. I do. I feel really good about that now. When you put it that way, it's easier to take. So this this notion of whatever you guys are talking about, quadrants or whatever, but I mean, I do make an effort to mindfully brush my teeth for two minutes. You know, but how this applies to everything, right? Yeah, so for me, this topic, um, I don't know. So the last few weeks, I had been listening to some podcasts and, you know, I've been doing my meditations back regularly after a little bit of a hiatus. (laughs) And (laughs) I was listening to this podcast and the guy was talking about um, how... I can't remember exactly, but a meditation practice, you really start to gain, um, in his perspective, you, you know, you really start to gain kind of the fruit of it when mindfulness bleeds into your daily life. Like, and I, he talked about just loosening into, um, the day and each activities. And I kind of like internalized it as living in the moment. Um, and I just realized I don't do that. Like, I I feel so rushed, even when I have no reason to be rushed. Mm -hmm. Like, I brush my teeth really quickly. I shower really quickly. I get through work as quick as possible, even if there's not, like, an urgency to do so. I don't have... I have time, right? Mm -hmm. I don't take my time. I don't slow myself down. And so I was thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, man, like, try that. And it's like stopping a freight train at times to <laughs> stop and pay attention. Yeah, it's like stopping a freight train. It really feels like that where I um, like cooking breakfast, for example. Like usually my breakfast, I want to just get that thing cooked and eat it and be done with it. I just am high strung like that um, internally, even maybe if it doesn't look like it. And so I, I've been just for the last two weeks um, really trying to concentrate on slowing myself down and taking my time with whatever task I have in front of me. And I found that my experience or my relationship with whatever I'm doing um, is just so much more uh, peaceful. Like so much more, I'm so much more content in doing it. Like the the stress of it, the whatever isn't there as much, and it's a better experience. Although I'm not doing anything different 
externally, like the physical, materialistic. I'm just making the breakfast. I'm still, you know, what I'm, mm-hmm. but but I'm more able to sink into or loosen into the experience of this just menial thing, whatever you know that we do every day. But what I have noticed is how challenging it is when you throw someone else into the mix, like when you introduce other variables out of your control, like work and interacting with people, Mm -hmm. trying to be, to take that approach in my conversations with other people or whatnot. And, um, how, how challenging and complex that can suddenly make, make doing that process. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's just been interesting because it's been a focus for me for the last two weeks. I, this is one that my my sister used to talk to me about. I mean, and she and she died thirty years ago, thirty five years ago, I think, something like that. Um, early eighties. So yeah, <laughs> a while ago. And um, but she had she was wanted. She always talked about being mindful about eating and to sit down and be mindful about what I was doing and the, and, and the, the idea and what the purpose, actually, what, what was the purpose of eating? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it, it's like, it's not just pulling up to the gas station and shoving the nozzle down your throat and, you know, filling up the tank and then, boom, you know, running yeah. the charge card exactly and getting out of there. Like right? sometimes. But it feels yeah. like that sometimes. Yeah. And I, but that's not what it's supposed to be. And, well, I mean, whether it's supposed to be or not, that's, I don't think, a healthy way to, for me to go about it. So I like that you yeah. brought this to, up. To and- me, like that rushed feeling, that, that like, like, like pulling up to the fast food joint and scarfing down a hamburger as quick as you can just to get full and go on to the next thing or whatever, is really like, like suffering. Like, in, like, like it's... It's not um, it's not a mind space that is comfortable, it's not connected, but it's like my autopilot. It's like what I have been trained to do or how I've trained myself to think and um, you know unpacking that and taking your time with something is just a radical change to how I typically behave, mm-hmm. but it really does feel better, although I I have such an aversion to do it a lot of the time. It's been easier for me at times to do that now, thinking while we're talking about it, at times where my environment kind of promotes it, if that makes sense. I'm thinking back on times I've been in Europe where people really sit down, you know, they have, you know, they have their siesta, they take these long meals where they... They sit for hours and just, you know, enjoy the food thoroughly, the food, the company, um, whatever they're drinking, the whole experience of the place. And it's interesting to me that when I'm in that environment, I'm like, this is how people should live. Mm -hmm. This is what, you know, like, I'm really missing out on this piece of taking my time, you know, to eat and, you know, get the nourishment and enjoy what I'm doing. And also that includes the people I'm surrounding myself with. You know, it's not just let's rush through this and go on with our lives. Let's actually sit and those are times to have a conversation and to, you know, connect with people, you know, during mealtimes, things like that. And that's something my family used to do. You know, we used to do Sunday dinners and, 
we haven't done that for a while because everyone's so busy, you know? It's right. like all of a sudden yeah. nieces and nephews and they have sporting things and they have to go to bed early for school. And, you know, I just want to have my own time on Sunday nights. But we, you know, it's it was so easy in that environment to go, yeah, this is, they're doing this right. This is how I should live. And going back and jumping right back into, well, I'm just going to swing by the drive-thru, eat at my desk while I'm working, you know, like, driving. let me, let me, driving, 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 driving yeah. or we get, I don't even drive. I'm like door dashed my work and then I'm going to eat while I'm still on my computer working. Cause you know, I mean like literally multitasking at its finest, so, like what is it really going to kill me to take 15 minutes and eat this food? And give myself a break, but and focusing on nourishing your body exactly. Yeah, and but yeah. and instead, I just eat so fast that I go, oh, now I feel like crap, and then it just like yeah. I wasn't even paying attention. It's so fascinating, and I've been. I mean, I'm. I, I honestly for for thirty years of my. I mean, not thirty, but twenty five years of my life. My my sister talked about this. She would talk about it all the time. And and how important it was to be mindful about what you know, I was putting in your body and chew consciously. I mean, all this stuff like it all comes back to me and <laughs> when I think about it and go chew consciously and chew so many times and um, and I, I look back now and go, yeah, she was right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I practice it in these. I minimum. It's it's minimal. The eating's become more just of an unconscious schema. That just runs underneath. You know, I get hungry. I throw something in, or I <laughs> throw, oh, exactly. throw something in. You know, and then I move on to the next thing. You know, it's not about taking that time to slow down and consciously nourish myself. Not just you know with the food, but with the time to be conscious about it. Or even taking the time to think, what does my body need right now? Like when you talk nourishment, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not sitting and thinking. You know, does my body feel like it needs some greens or maybe it does need some protein or, you know, like, because I think I, I can kind of gauge that if I really sit and think about, you know, like what I'm needing, mm -hmm. I can usually gauge at least a piece of something that would, that I'm kind of lacking that I, that might feel more nourishing to me mm -hmm. than, but I don't do that at all. It's more, what can I get fast? What's in my fridge right now that I can just pull out and, you know, I mean, yesterday I had nothing going all day. Nothing. I had nothing to do, but it was still like rush through brushing my teeth, rush through doing my laundry, rush through lunch. And then every time I was done with something, it was like, well, now I have nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and why in the hell did you have to rush while you were cleaning? You know, and then Brady and I have this you know, talk about this last night. And I was like, I just did that all day long. And I could have, you know, just just more consciously and methodically done these things and Instead, I felt stressed and anxious yeah, all day for no reason. Exactly. I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah. by, by approaching everything, even the, the small tasks, whether you know it's brushing your teeth or the laundry or whatever, if you approach it in a, an erratic rush, rush, rush behavior, that just translates into your whole life. And your whole mm -hmm. life is like that. And so, yeah. yeah. You were going to say, Brady? I can't remember now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. For yeah. I can uh, relate to you. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna. I was kind of. I was gonna say um, when when I approach things in the way that Sarah was just talking or, or how I brought it up, I enjoy them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I get to enjoy them, and that's the difference. That's where I think why I'm suddenly so motivated by it because I've enjoyed my honestly brushing my teeth and flossing at <laughs> night. I've enjoyed that for the last week and a half because. 
I'm there when I'm doing it. <laughs> I just like I'm in the mirror. I'm watching. I'm just I've enjoyed it, which sounds so weird. But um, every other time that I brush my teeth, I've been rushing through that to get to Netflix or to get to something else. And so by just slowing down for whatever the task might be, I find that it's calming and I I'm happy doing it. You know, and that that little thing makes a big difference. And I can even think like I enjoy. I would always say I, I enjoy taking a bath more than I enjoy showering. Mm-hmm. But now thinking about it, it's because every time I shower, I'm showering because I'm like rushed to get somewhere. Like I'm rushed to get to work and I need to shower. Mm-hmm. And the reason I take a when I take baths, the reason I take them is because I have spare time and I'm intentionally going. I have nothing to do right now. I'm going to do some self-care because I do still take time to do self-care. And when I do that, I usually am really conscious of doing things a little bit slower, mm-hmm. but I'm very particular about what those things are. Like I am taking a slow walk. I am taking a bubble bath. I am, you know, it's the everyday things that you just do that you don't love doing that I'm not practicing that but it's easy for me to practice it when I'm intentionally like oh I really enjoyed taking my time with this so this I'm going to take my time with hmm. but if you enjoy taking your time with that why would you not at least a little bit more enjoy everything find, else find, find joy in everything yeah, else at least enjoy maybe yeah, I don't know if I'll ever find a ton of joy in brushing my teeth but yeah maybe I'll just be more at ease while I do it <laughs> and you know and not what else were we talking about about um, on my way to work in the morning when I'm getting ready for work I've already thought about everything for work like I'm I can't even remember brushing my teeth half half the time I've done it but I'm already at work in my mind while I'm getting ready to go to work I'm there I'm rushing through everything in my house even making coffee and stuff like it's just like do this do this do this do this and then I'm out the door what would it be like to just slow all those things down just a tiny bit you know just 10 minutes earlier and just consciously do those things and be focusing on those things and not on my day that I have no control over at that time because I'm not there this this whole concept's kind of interesting the sort of the fuel that propels humans to not take the time to not be present or mindful in the moment I, I because it's there's this other thing somewhere out there, you know, forward right. from this moment. That it, it could be anything. I, I don't know what the fuck it is, but I, it feels like I'm I'm supposed to be going somewhere or doing something, and so I've just got to keep going and keep doing and that kind of thing. There, there's some. I mean, there's some internal belief uh, in my story that says. That's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing this to get to there. Yes. And that, when I said it's like stopping a freight train, that's what I'm talking about. Whatever that thing is, I, you know, sure, there are times I have to produce quickly whatever I'm doing because I have somewhere to be or I have somewhere to go or whatever. It's not that. It's just that natural tendency to want to complete whatever and get through whatever you have in front of you to to get there to get to that ending that finish line or whatever that is i think we should today (laughs) because it'll be 
seven weeks before we're back here, right? Yeah, Approximately. Yeah. Six, yeah. seven weeks, right? I think we should set some challenges about being mindful about take let's take a couple things that we could agree upon and uh and we'll report back, we'll report back when we get back together again. So I think that's a great idea. You know. Um Maybe we could pick three things. <laughs> I want to say the food thing. I, I'm all for the food's because on the top of my list. Yeah, yeah. Food, Sitting down good. and eat, <laughs> Brent, eating. Brent know. just like saw me mindfully eat some food in Costa Rica. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I'm still I, PTSD uh, from that. I don't know how you how you didn't choke. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah. You know what's me cool about this is they're going to be horrified. able to. I was hungry. Yeah, we was hungry. You guys yeah. are going to eat a lot hungry. together. The, yeah. I mean, the rest of us normally. Yeah. You, I know you guys sometimes do eat together. You go out, but um, this will be interesting because you'll you you kind of be able to watch each Check other each too other. a little yeah, bit. Like yeah, like they can keep each other in check a little bit. Can we get to be mindful? You know, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Did you mindfully eat that cookie last night? Yeah. Did you? Did you eat? Yeah. No. Probably. I think you ate it pretty fast. Yeah. Had, had, did you eat your bed, bedtime mint mindfully? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, food is one. Yeah. I think I think we can all agree okay, okay. that's one. What what else? Uh, driving. Whoa. Okay. That might be challenging. That's a really, no, it's because, <laughs> no, it's a good it's one, because it's a my, really hard one. That for me. one, my heart raced a little bit when you said it. I was <laughs> little like, flutters. Well, I'm just thinking of learning a new schema. Well, Hawaii, no, we have a rental car. I'm <laughs> trying to mindfully attack the roads there. Yeah, you the should. There. Imagine how much better it would be Yeah, if you do. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one. Because the last thing you want is to get stressed on vacation while you're driving to the beach because you're... Oh, this and that, and oh, the traffic, and now the asshole cut me off. And then you get to the beach and you're all flustered before you're about to surf and have this moment of like serenity. I like it. I like okay, I'm, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm game. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm game. I'm, I'm definitely because it's something that I do, you know, every day, just like eat. So it's yeah. an it's an easy one. Yeah, you know, it's an easy one. Easy yet challenging. What's going to be interesting <laughs> to be the times that I realize I'm not there, I'm not present in the moment, because mm. you know the 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 schema for driving is one of the oh, great ones. Because yeah. you know you can be somewhere totally out, mm -hmm. you know, because you're not thinking about braking and. No, know, it just happens. It's just it's running. It's mm -hmm. under, underneath the running underneath the the, the awareness. Um, what else? What what would be the third Let one? Someone else pick the last one. Teeth brushing. I'm already doing no, that. I'm loving okay. it. <laughs> that one just seems good. Sarah wants a new one. Sarah wants a new one. But flossing, you know, the whole gamut. Yeah. On, right. on okay. the next episode of Just Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> just Sarah would like to choose a different third. <laughs> I don't want to undertake, you know, I, I mean. Okay, so we I don't want to carry this energy you know, we don't like, all day, too you know, large. whatever, but okay. I don't want to be held accountable to too much here. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> and I am thinking, all right, let's push ourselves. Right. Like, what can we... Right, right, right. You, I kind of see the bookends here. I like it. I like it. Okay. Brent. 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 Okay. okay, Brent. I don't, I don't know. I, what, what, what brought to my mind when we started thinking about this stuff, about mindfulness and everyday... 
activities, one thing that I know that I could probably work on uh, myself is being really mindful of my communication (laughs) and catching myself before I just gut react emotionally and say something that probably a comes across as 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 mean or derogatory or you know just being a, a dick i guess you know i can't just, imagine any of this you know but Brent. just like being mindful or like <laughs> all right i could talk i all right whatever you know whatever happened that's bad and i can talk bad about this person but to what end what is that really going to achieve right. you know what i mean or I could bring this to somebody's attention, but is that really just going to make them feel bad about themselves? And does it really matter? Is it really is that really hurting me at all? You know, I don't know. Being mindful in my communication, I thought, was what triggered. At least was my thought when you said mindful of everyday things that you do. Yeah, I. Brady I, thinks I that was too hard. That's so hard. <laughs> not not so much the the rude remarks or, or like yeah that too. That that's like the question for me is 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 it practical to integrate mindfulness into my conversations with people? relationships? I think I overthink it. I don't know. I have a hard, I would I want that so much. I have a hard time doing that. Yeah, yeah, doing it's that. challenging for sure. Because you talk so much. <laughs> you have to be mindful. You know what I mean? Like, how practical is it? Like in certain circumstances, I don't know. I love it. This I know, but awesome. I know when I have what I, I don't even know how to how to like define it. But I know when I have like a mindful. Maybe I'm confusing the two. When I think of an authentic conversation with someone that just where I am me, and there's no self concern, meaning I don't care what you think about me as much as I care about just sharing. That's what I want out of all my conversations, and I get out of just like a small percentage. But so maybe that, maybe I'm confusing the the effort of it. Well, maybe uh, no. That's a really good point, and I hear what you're saying. So I don't want to. I don't want to discount that you're concerned. But actually, I think that may be a reason to do it because I was like thinking, how you know how how to do this? Do I just do it at work? <laughs> but I mean, what, what what the fuck would that be? You know, I mean, that's where I talk the most. You know, yeah. but you know, because but being mindful and what I'm, I'm that's I'm supposed to be right. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's actually kind of scary thinking you're not being mindful on call. It's saying, just between we're us. We're going to cut that part out. It's just between us. I no, I don't cut that. I So I say yes, let's do it. And let's do brushing the teeth. Let's do four. Okay, four. Let's and, do well, Jesus. No, because brushing is an easy one. And then <laughs> we're back. Two little Buddhas in Hawaii. So we picked the four things that you guys are going to work on <laughs> before it, and you before fall, Jesus right? was out. Um, <laughs> Jesus out. Eating, driving, communication. <laughs> and then brushing teeth. We work on being more mindful. I think we're shooting for the stars. Shooting for the stars. And it's... it's <laughs> don't it's, overthink it. Again, yeah. don't overthink it. It's not about being perfect. It's just about noticing, right? Yeah. And don't attach to the out. I mean, use non-attachment appreciation because it doesn't matter in the long run. It's just to be aware. Yeah, I think it, Brett made a good point. It's, or maybe it was you, actually, Brady, that made it. Just being authentic in what you're saying 
I feel like in itself is a step towards that mindfulness. You know, if you're trying to, even if the whole conversation itself might not be authentic, because maybe the reciprocant isn't, if you yourself are being yourself and putting forth that, and you're aware that you're being yourself and you're being authentic in your conversations and communication, I mean, that in itself is a step, a huge step towards being mindful in your conversations. So I think, you know, overthinking, like, being mindful in that is maybe... But the ability to do that is more than a step. It's like a giant leap for mankind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're going way too much. Yeah, you're way blowing it over. Right? I think, yeah, you're overthinking think, the hell out of yeah, this. Yeah, I think just by at the end of a conversation, <laughs> if you could be like, wow, that was a mindful conversation, or no, that wasn't. I mean, that's right there. You're just recognizing, and then next time you're going to do a little bit better. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a... <laughs> okay. It's okay. a hard one to quantify. I get it. It's not like the brushing of the teeth or right. anything like that, but it's definitely, it's like Paul said, just, uh, it's the concept of just being aware. When I think I get caught up on it because mindful, like being mindful of conversations, like conversations um, are flowing and like your reaction is required in an instant. And yeah. so I think I get caught up in the practicality of a mindfulness practice when communicating because it doesn't seem to lend itself to that very well. Okay, but in my is head. it? Is it required it in a not? second? Yeah, could you take a moment? Did you take a breath? Yeah, a breath? yeah. Just yeah, like you I take want, a breath yeah. and a break with brushing your teeth and stuff. Do you I don't have know. to respond? I don't in a know. Take a beat. I don't know if that would slow the conversation down so it moves at a snail's pace. <laughs> so it moves at a snail. You really are thinking that. <laughs> Huh? Okay. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Gauntlet has been thrown. (laughs) Okay. If I know you practice it in here sometimes, so I know you can do it. (laughs) Yeah, you know there that guy. Like I said, there are pockets I get into in my converse in my dialogue with other people where it's like that felt good. That was that I communicated just from within whatever you know. But I would say that it is more the um, exception than the rule. And it's a large undertaking to expect to accomplish that over a period of a few weeks. <laughs> Again, just do, it like more, it. just do it more than you did yesterday. Large, large, very large. <laughs> very large. <laughs> just do it more than you did yesterday. And then the next day you'll do it more than you did the day before. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. There's no, no right or wrong It doesn't have to be here. every conversation yeah. starting today. The, the beautiful part about this, though, and Brady, I, I, I hear your apprehension a little bit, but the, the beautiful part is that th- there is no right and wrong. There's no wrong way mm-hmm. to do this. There's no wrong way to be mindful about something. You just do yeah, your best. Yeah, is. Right? It's called rushing through the day. That's, <laughs> that's not mindfulness. There is a wrong thing. <laughs> but if it's you're called worried. being riddled with anxiety and rushing through your shit. Like, that's wrong. That's not right. <laughs> Brady's making me. I'm aware now. Brady's making me anxious right now. <laughs> you have you have great powers, my friend. Okay, all right. So we have our challenge. We will be back. Uh, I mean, we're just going to move on. But it, so we'll revisit this in six to seven weeks when you guys get back from your trip and see and see how we did and. You know, um, again, what a cool opportunity you guys have because you're gonna we'll you'll see each other every day, so you, you get to you get to you get to practice that. All these things don't 
Um, you don't have to brush each other's teeth, though. I don't think that's... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Open wide. <laughs> though, 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 I'll tell I you... I don't want to hear you. No, no. Open wide. No, no. Though, there is quite an art uh, and mindfulness about eating when you feed somebody else. Um, I'm not recommending you do that, but I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm <there> is, <laughs> <laughs> the air, the air uh, next next week's episode of <laughs> just, just Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> yes, Brady and Brent feed each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what happens in Hawaii stays in Hawaii. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, time. Did we already do the time thing? Oh, we no, did not. We, no, we, we did, not. did not. We did not. Okay. So the idea of time and recovery or sobriety, um, what, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be living in a state of sobriety? And, and how important is time? Is, is time really a, a relevant issue when it comes to sobriety? And I'm, I'm going to start off just with saying just sort of, a, I guess, a preamble in some ways, because I don't... I don't see sobriety as much to do with drugs and alcohol, and I think you guys know that. I mean, I see that as a component of it because drugs and alcohol are a symptom of a lack of sobriety in our thinking and our feeling. But I don't see that that is the the primary problem. So when I think of sobriety, I think of, for myself anyway, I will talk just for me, right? That's the best thing to do, is that what... How am I living in the moment? And we're talking about go, this, this is going to know full circle. We're going to come right back to mindfulness, just like that. Um, that this idea of me being uh, having an open heart, meaning that uh, being I'm able to be vulnerable, I'm able to um, you know, share about myself. I don't uh, live in fear of uh, of those things, which we'll, which we'll talk about later. And. Um, and and this this notion that um, to have a, a sober mind, I've got to be thinking and living a certain way. And um, whether that took me a week to figure that out, um, which it's has it's taken me a lifetime, um, <laughs> and I still haven't figured it out, or if it's something that you know is you know years and years in the making, which I think is is more realistic. Does the is it important to? put a timetable on this and to celebrate those those milestones if, if they are such things um for some people and, and why so i have mixed feelings towards it because my initial thought is that time is kind of irrelevant when it comes to sobriety i can have Tons of what people would call sober time, but I'm on the same page as you, Paul, where I don't consider uh, abstinence from drugs and alcohol the only you know way of being sober. I feel like living a sober life means a lot more, and we've talked about this, I think, on this podcast before about what sober means. You know, being sober means to me, so I won't get completely into it, but... So part of me feels like it's relevant because I can be sober, or I can be absent from drugs and alcohol for a long time, and I can claim I have X amount of time as milestones, but if I'm not being mindful in my <laughs> everyday life or being authentic, uh, doing things to grow 
and, you know, learn and staying connected, staying connected. Yeah. There's so many things then, then it is that, does that time really matter when I hit those? Um, the flip side of that, when I hit my year of sobriety, I have to admit that felt like a, an accomplishment to me Mm -hmm. though still. But one of the reasons it did, if I really look at it, it wasn't just that I hit a year, but I did look at myself from a year prior and I went, yes, I have made a lot of life changes. I have done, (laughs) I've done a lot of things this last year. Yes, you have. Yeah, that has led me to a happier, more genuine and authentic life. So was that milestone... Would it have meant the same to me if I had if I was in the same place as last year? But woohoo, go me! I haven't drank for a year. You know, I don't think I don't think personally it would have had the same impact on me. But this year, that year, it it meant a lot to me because I saw where I was a year ago and was able to uh, be proud of myself. And so, I guess. Maybe the time for me can be can matter a little bit if I'm if I'm doing things in my life where I can see progress being made again. So you know, I every day is a new challenge, and every day is still learning and growing. I'm not anyway by any means there. I mean, <laughs> no, you're, I mean, you're I, here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just here on this podcast right now. <laughs> Just Sarah, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just Sarah. Uh, But at the same time, if I can see that I'm better than I was yesterday or a year ago or whatever it is, then yeah, I guess that that means something to me. But it is a different view when I first got sober and I had, say, 30 days and I saw someone who had a year and was kind of envious of oh, they have a year, they must have it all figured out. And here I am kind of starting out or or maybe, you know, are they really be- any better than me? Like I, sure. I, I have 30 days and I feel like I just, you know, I made so many, I learned so much in those 30 days because it's kind of like crammed into you so quickly that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I was also a, a little unrealistic about where I was at after that short amount of sobriety. Uh, and then... Well, don't you think some of the biggest changes, though, happen when we have... Because that, that's a, it's a huge life change to stop doing something that we've been doing for... I mean, it honestly, is. I say, I, yeah. if when I stop doing something like I've been doing for a long period of time, yeah. I, I can relate that the same to my heart attack, that I stopped mm-hmm. doing some things. I mean, we were just talking about coffee. Like, I cut coffee out, mm-hmm. um, except decaf, except for I just had a, a tiny it's little a itty-bitty cup of I think, very stout coffee. Does that mean we're the dragger downers? We brought you, you down. Are the, we're the dragger downers. <laughs> no, you, this is, in this case, it would be drag up. Uh, <laughs> true, true. Because <laughs> I now have a little caffeine in me. <laughs> no, see, I, my choice... My choice, but but what I, what I, my point is is that when we first make those changes, I felt it like I cut salt down to you know tried to keep somewhere around. Um, a, a, this sounds crazy. I, I mean, as I say it out loud, like a gram a day of salt, which is. Um, very difficult if you eat a lot of processed foods, and I'm just talking a can, a serving of a can, you know, of like tomato paste. 
or spaghetti sauce or something like that has five to six hundred milligrams of sodium in it, mm-hmm. just one helping, like a quarter cup. Yeah. And and so like you know I have to I we we make a lot of our own stuff and it's low salt and and I'm fine with that. I don't I don't mind it as much. I didn't notice that I missed it, but I noticed that I had to count it. So the same thing, you know, salmon burgers, I looked at them one day and I went, you know, I eat, I eat one of these, sometimes I eat one and a half and God, they got like four or 500 milligrams of salt in them and I'm, you know, there's half my salt for the day just in that and not to mention the other things that I'm eating. So it, it did some big changes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It doesn't have to just be... <laughs> you know, drugs and alcohol yeah, can be does any, it. any many number of things. But <laughs> Salt is a drug, I found yeah, out. Yeah. Just like sugar. And sugar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And caffeine for me. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I don't know. I And when I first went through treatment and got sober, I was so set on how much better I felt being sober and that Oh, it was, even though everyone there said, oh, the alcohol is a symptom, I had a really hard time getting that through my mind because it felt so good just to be without alcohol that I really thought, even though I I claim to understand that, I don't think I really understood that at first because I just was high on life and not being, not having alcohol in my life and I thought that was enough Mm -hmm. until all of a sudden I'm mid-relapse and like, what the fuck happened, you know, like... (laughs) And that's where this year meant a lot more to me because I played into all of the many other pieces of sobriety. I started pulling those into my life and making those actual changes and the mindfulness. And um, that's what, you know, ended up making the difference for me to now just not, you know, want alcohol or care about it. You know, it's it's not a thing where I have cravings often or have temptations often and that's because I've the life changes I've made I think and and so that's why yes this time I'd say a year meant a lot to me for that but yeah I'm done someone else (laughs) (laughs) no I think I mean no you bring up some good points I mean yeah it's um, time can definitely uh, be a great measurement you know uh, a year to look back and see the progress that you've made if you use it that way but we, I think we can all agree that just because somebody has X amount of years of sobriety doesn't mean you can't compare yourself that they they would know more than you or that their life is exponentially better because they have two years and you only have a year or what or by, you know whatever that is because yeah I I personally know that um, a great term that that I learned through refuge recovery called renunciation. Renunciation. So renunciate, yeah, because I went 18 months um, in just renunciation, just abstinent of drugs and alcohol, but I didn't do anything uh, to anything to sort of change my life or try to live in recovery or try to be a wholehearted person. Didn't do anything and was just pretty much more miserable than when I than when I was drinking because not only was I um, dealing with the same stuff that's going on in life I didn't have the the alcohol to to self-medicate on so I was even more miserable and of course doing nothing and just being in living in renunciation or living in abstinence um, all that did was lead me to eventually to relapse because I didn't make, make any changes you know I didn't try to uh, change my outlook on myself and, and, and on life. 
And so uh, 18 months, yeah, I was sober for 18 months, which is a good chunk of time, but I wouldn't consider that to be 18 months of recovery, of living in recovery or, or being, you know, even being sober, it was just renunciation. It was just I wasn't drinking. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think Do you want to explain what, or did you, but I didn't, I, oh, but renunci- renunciation is yeah. a term that's used to, you know, explain the explain sort of a, a different way of being really is what we're talking about right right it just it means you're you're not going to partake of that substance you know what i mean you're not going to continue to you know indulge in drugs or alcohol right. at least from a refuge recovery or whatever addiction that you're you're facing if from right. a refuge recovery standpoint i think that's what renunciation it means and so but they don't do it even in refuge recovery um which is the thing i've, I've always liked about one of the, the components i like about it is it doesn't just look at drugs and alcohol right it does that with every aspect of our 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 being our life and, and looking at all the things that we're addicted to right and and just and yes that's the first step is saying i'm not going to engage in this behavior anymore that is the first step is there is renunciation but if you stay on that step that's not enough to really make changes and uh, and to live a, a life in recovery, live a wholehearted life. And so um, I, I like time as a measurement for reflection, like Sarah said, you know, milestones to look back and like what progress have I made. But I don't think it's a way to measure success, essentially. Yeah, in yeah. 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 So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... Uh, yeah, I agree with with what you say. I think the thing is, is you like in in recovery. Like when I was going to AA, they make you know it's easy to look at like one year, two year these these celebrations as like the milestones, and to feel like that's where progress should like culminate at that time period like come together and oh you you know you've hit these and um it doesn't work like that in my experience Mm -hmm. you can't control your i mean you can try but like you can't control your progress that specifically like you can like i can't project forward in one year i'm going to feel so good about myself and love myself you know it's just a day-by-day process and who knows when you get there how you'll feel so setting yourself up to like celebrate and look at like these like time matters but i don't feel like it's wise necessarily to expect certain things because of a date you know i I do know i do understand and and it's it's not always time is not always an accurate measurement, even though it is a dimension. Um, but it also doesn't exist at the same time. time. <laughs> I like saying time. that. <laughs> time doesn't exist. Um, in the but you same gotta, time. sometimes you got to give time time. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I mean, a, you know, a year without drugs time. and alcohol is going to invoke you know changes <laughs> versus thirty days. Well, and also I don't want to. You know, I'm thinking now. Okay, I made this. You know, I was proud of myself at one year because I could look back and go, "Wow, I made all these big life changes." When I hit two years. Am I really going to have made the same amount of life changes that I made the first year? Probably not, because I feel like all around I'm in kind of a better place. Will I be maintaining 
and maybe still making some daily, you know, changes and learning. Hopefully, yes. Mm-hmm. And then I can, st- but I don't want to discount that other year that will come just because the first year I did all these big things, you know? So I think that will be an important thing for me too, is not to discount the time I continue getting just because I'm not making things that life changes that seem as big or extreme as I did that first year, you know? Well, and, and first of all, let's celebrate life as uh, in ways, I mean, learning to celebrate life. And I think, um, as using, you know, the, the concept or the the notion or the, the practice of sobriety and mindfulness is a, is a way to celebrate that. I mean, we should celebrate it every day, to be honest with you, but (laughs) we don't, you know, people that we don't necessarily want to overdo it all the time. Um, <laughs> I got that song in my head now. Time will come today. I mean, I just have it ringing in my head. Just yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. really, I'm really, I'm kind of fucked up. Um, the, the notion, because what it is for me when I, I look at this, and it's it's been 22, three years since I've done cocaine, and it's the thinking what i'm what i what i look at is the thinking to me i don't look at the drug anymore but it's the thinking about why cocaine would be a good idea <laughs> i mean what what in my my conscious mind would <laughs> where would i have to be i mean and, uh, again you guys know we've i mean brady brought this up i think in the last episode you know about transcending addiction I, I I can't even ha- I don't know where that conversation would even go how it would even begin anymore I mean I can remember the old ones uh, that some of them were but they seem they seem so dead and outdated it's sort of like a tree that's died or something and you know kind of been cut up into firewood and and burned I mean the, the, symbolically so that the the notion of that's <clears throat> the notion of that having power anymore or having being part of a conversation or narrative has been long gone. But the I, I, it all comes down to the story I would tell myself or the, the actual thought of this would seem like a good idea because I, I don't th- those conversations don't exist anymore. They just they don't. Um, and, I, and I don't know if you know, that's to celebrate that, but I don't even to me, it's just to celebrate now. It's it's again, the addiction that was addiction. And if if yeah, you just, remember. I just I just want to celebrate, you know, you know, I'm, I mean, honestly, that I, I lived another day at this point. <laughs> I'm keeping it simple. <laughs> you know, and maybe, I know I'm not, really trying, not trying to be a downer here. But <laughs> I am. I mean, I woke up this morning. And go, I'm alive another day. You know, way to go. <laughs> go me. Keep it simple. Well, if, if you remember on that podcast, I asked you how long it took you to get to that point where those cocaine conversations yeah. just, just weren't a thing. Um, and you were like, I think you said like seven. You know, somewhere yeah, in there. Seven, seven, eight years. Somewhere seven, eight yeah. years. And so that's time. You know, that is like, that's a good, good chunk of time. Um and obviously, like, I don't feel, I think I said there, I feel like there's direction for me being made in, in progress being made there, but I don't feel there, mm-hmm. there yet. Um, I can't just wake up and have that happen. I, maybe it'll be 
another year. Like, like using time to expect when that full transformation is mm-hmm. going to happen isn't something you can predict, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's okay. And, and, that's, okay. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I like coming back to the whole notion, too, that that this is, you know, we should be celebrating our lives. And, you know, and that living a sober life, it's like that I'm present and I'm aware and I, and I, you know, I can say that in this moment, it's good to be alive and I want to celebrate that. And I, I don't know what that looks like, you know. It may just be, you know, going out for a walk and enjoying the, the crisp, cool afternoon or something, you know. That sounds really mindful. <laughs> it's what I'm thinking about be. doing when I go home after this. Unless he rushes through the walk so he That's could get good. home to do nothing. I mean, I could get home to do nothing. I could sit on the couch and watch Netflix or something too, but I probably will go for the walk. You know. I'll still be mindful while I watch Netflix. Okay. Be mindful while I watch Netflix. Yeah. Actually, I have to be mindful while I repair, repair a few holes in the wall when they put the new uh, HVAC system in and move the thermostat. So I'm going to I'm going to be doing that when I get home. Mindfully. Naturally, mindfully. Okay. You guys want to move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> okay. You ready? I don't know. Okay. In this episode of Just Sarah, life's most embarrassing moments. That does not mean that I'm the only one talking about this. I'll tell you that much. It's also going to be just Brady and just Brent and just Paul. Okay. So um, I, I mentioned this beforehand. I said, uh, this is the question I'm going to ask you guys. Um, and, I, and the reason the, I, t- wanna, I wanna be clear with my ultimate intention or purpose is it's about just accepting our bozo-ness. And whether it's a dark something, something that we did that were dark in our lives that we're embarrassed about or, or whatever. But you can you can define that however you want. It, it, it doesn't you can and share whatever you want. The, the purpose of this is just to kind of accept our bozoness, you know, our, 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 uh, our humanhood, if you will. And to be wholehearted about it. This this is not about you know who who has who has the darkest moment. You know, uh, I mean, I suppose we could take a vote at the end and say who you know <laughs> who, who do we think had the best the best story. But um, who's that's the not, biggest bozo? Yeah, who's the who's the biggest bozo today? And so with that in mind, then you can you know. You can uh, play up your story or whatever that is. Um, but if you, I mean, I also mentioned if you want to share one that happened when you're when you're sober or when you were um, under the influence, you could do that as well. Um, but I, I want I, I said I would open up and I would share a story uh, from my childhood that was really embarrassing. And I'm not the only one that's had this experience, but it was really embarrassing. But the circumstances of why I shared this story recently surprised me, and I thought about it on the way over here. Because I had uh, gone down to the desert um, the early summer, I think, uh, late spring, early summer, somewhere in there, and um, and spent a few days alone and did my walk about. I think we we talked about that a little bit uh, a few t- times ago, um, and and the purpose of that was to you know do some reconnection, uh, work on mindfulness, work on sh- shutting down some of the stories, um, and just to connect to Earth, connect to. Um, Mother Nature. And um, I came back and I felt really, I, I didn't notice it right away because I'd been immersed in that environment and, and with, with, just with me for, for those three days, four days. And, um, I, but I was really open. And so uh, I came back in the, in the first group I did, um, 
were ta- someone was talking about shame and about embarrassment and those kinds of things, and I said, well, I, and I blurted out this story, and I thought about it, and I could, I thought about it afterwards because my colleague uh, who was in there with me looked at me and was surprised. I can't believe you're sharing that story in process group. Would normally therapists don't, you know occasionally do that. So anyway, this story is about me being, um, say, six years old in my bedroom. Um, and uh, yeah, I was uh, I was masturbating and my sister... <laughs> I knew this is where the story was coming. <laughs> six years old? Yeah, six, seven years old. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> See, where I grew up... Now, every, now, every, now everybody... Oh, how did you age, bro? <laughs> When I grew up, masturbating wasn't a sin, okay? Yeah, Yeah, seven, maybe. I don't know. Somewhere in there. I was pretty young. Maybe eight. I can't remember. But it was young. It was young. And my sister walked in, you know, and I'm saying, she goes, what are you doing? And what are you... I mean, she obviously knows what I'm doing, right? But I said, nothing. And I'm assuming my face was bright red, you know, and I'm pulling the covers over myself, and I'm just sitting there, you know, this little young child with Paul, you know, and completely embarrassed. She goes, no, what are you doing? And I'm going, nothing. <laughs> and this, this goes back where she stares at me for a minute and and then she kind of kind of got red, turned red, and because I, I figured it took her a few, minute, a few minutes <laughs> to figure it out. And then she went, okay, <laughs> closed the door and left, you know. But that moment and the shame that came from that, you know, was, was monumental. It was an embarrassing moment. I, you know, and I kind of, I was sharing it in group, and I thought about it. I just thought it was funny and as being vulnerable and all that and but my colleague kind of gave me the look like I don't know why the fuck you're sharing that in group <laughs> anyway I, I assume everyone's got a story like that you know somebody catching them doing something like that so but I, I could be wrong you know but so why? But you said that on your way over, you were thinking like, why did you share that in the moment? Did I miss that? Well, or because I, I was so open and vulnerable, and I I didn't really didn't have any shame right, around okay. it anymore. Got, because yeah. right, so the you idea, you know, um, yeah. there, there's a therapist. I, I actually had him on the program a few months back, maybe yeah, actually about six months ago. Um, Gary, he always had the story about being the pants shitter. You know, he would use that as a way that how people get over shame when they're younger and they don't even process through it anymore. Because I can tell you something you did every day for a couple of years maybe hundreds maybe thousands of times and you don't you don't have shame over it anymore and mm. and what was that he goes well, you were a pants shitter yeah. <laughs> you know and this whole idea that you know somebody changed your pants for you know you know and wiped your butt and all that kind of stuff for a long period of time you know because today if someone was doing that 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 may be a problem for some people they may develop some shame so this whole that's that's gotcha. how this story gotcha. and I, gotcha. it came yeah. up as like an example of why we why i don't carry that shame anymore you know I look at it today and I laugh and I go, awkward moment, yeah. but that's about it, you know, because, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not embarrassed by it. Now, I also, I mean, and I, I was being a little flippant there when I said I didn't grow up in a culture where I was told that there's anything wrong with that. The worst yeah. thing that I found that very accurate. <laughs> what? I kind of find that pretty accurate compared to what the culture here. You yeah. know, here is on masturbating. Yeah, and I mean, such. Yeah, the, the so joke was, yeah, you grow hair on your palm or something like that. I mean, I used to always go, "That's funny," but is it true? But you know, but you know, because there was some uh, Judeo-Christian, um, uh, Judeo sort of thoughts about it. You know, not to mention some waspy ideas about, you know, what what it was to you know bring pleasure to self. And so today, I look at it and go, 
yeah, <laughs> what's wrong with that? That's healthy. That's normal. You know, and as I live another day, you know, as I get older, I, I, I go, that's healthy. That's normal um, for that seven six, seven, eight-year-old child, yeah, they, there was probably some beliefs that, you know, nobody should ever see me do that, right? So, mm, yeah. Right. Especially my sister. Right. <laughs> True. Okay. I would like to hear her side of the trauma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, too. She passed away. Uh, yeah. That's the one that passed away. Yeah, okay. she's the one that yeah. passed away. Yeah. I don't know if we. I don't. I don't think we ever talked about it. <laughs> I don't know. We may have, but I don't remember it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Floor's open. Got it. Oh me. Well, I. You know, it's funny when you mentioned that this might be or this was going to be a topic. I was thinking about all the embarrassing moments that I've had and. The majority of them do involve when I was intoxicated, you know, <laughs> do involve being in, under the influence of, of a substance. And so um, I was trying to think back and, and, a chi- and for some reason, the childhood memory did pop up in my mind. And it was uh, I was it was probably like, you know, seven, eight years old, maybe playing Little League Baseball. And uh, our team was down by a couple of runs at the time. Two outs. I got up to the plate hit a hit a hit to right field and there, there was a couple people on base so i would have been the winning run and so i hit the ball it went kind of into right center field and it was a good hit so I, I take off the other runners on the base score and as i'm coming around i can see the ball coming in i hit third and i can see that they're going to throw the ball home right but i'd be the winning run so reg- i made the decision at that time regardless what was going to happen i was going to take the catcher out and uh, and they threw the ball, and uh, it was nowhere near where he could catch it, you know. But I mean, he was standing there, not really by the, not even really in front of the plate, kind of on the plate. And I just mowed him over, just took, just took him out, scored the winning run, we won the game. But this kid got laid out, and he was crying, and my coach just lit me up because he's like, you don't ever, you know, intentionally try to hurt somebody. And it wasn't, it wasn't even my mindset at the time was to hurt somebody. I just wanted to make sure we won the game. And, uh, but man, a lot of shame and guilt over that, of yeah, me, of yeah. that, in that moment of, of like, you know, hurting this other kid just to win the game, you know, when I probably would have been safe regardless, you know what I mean? But for some reason in my mind, I just knew I had to take him out. And uh, so that was something I carried around for a long time. And I hadn't thought about it in a while until you asked us to think about embarrassing Mm -hmm. moments. And that was an embarrassing moment for sure. Because, yeah, we won the game, but it was really kind of like, oh, wow. Okay, look at this guy over here hurting people. So, um, but yeah, and then I guess I think another... Because you're kind of a pacifist like me a little bit, so... (laughs) I I would like to think so, you know. Um, Yeah, I'd like to think so. I was pretty pretty well you know mannered kid is it but that was something that yeah happened that felt a lot of embarrassment over and then i guess when i'm i mean there's just countless stories of embarrassing moments when i was intoxicated (laughs) i guess one that i can just briefly share was being this was when i was in dallas and i was trying to get uh sober and i was living in um a sober living residence at the time. I'd been to a treatment facility and was living in a sober residence facility at the time. Decided to, to leave the sober living and um, 
went to the grocery store, got drunk in the grocery store parking lot, passed out in the drunk in the in the grocery store parking lot. Uh, wasn't even, didn't really pass out either, but just got tired and, uh, and, you know, went to sleep and I wake up to the fire department knocking on the door. You know, the, the, I was in the park and this is the middle of the day too, by the way, middle of the day and, uh, firemen knocking on the door, uh, the window and I open it up and there's the cops are there too and everything. And what had happened is some guy who was going in to do his grocery shopping, some, this old guy looked in and saw me just laying there. Thought I might be in uh, a diabetic and might, you know, <laughs> have been passed out or, you know what I mean, have, was having some sort of medical emergency. Right. You so he called the cops. Something, right? yeah. yeah, so he called 911 and so the fire department, the cops show up and everything. And really, I was just, uh, you know, in my car drinking. And um, so anyways, the cops get me out of the car and everything. And uh, he does a little sobriety test, determines I'm drunk, takes me to jail books me on a, pu- a public intoxication and had to stay there like four hours before I could be released. Of course, got kicked out of the sober living. Of course, the wife had to, well, my wife at the time had to come pick me up out of jail. I mean, that was, so that's, you know, and there's several other stories about that same degree. But yeah, and that's all I got. So. In the, in, in, the, in the parking here. lot, yeah, yeah. In the parking, yeah, it was like in the, in the Kroger's or something parking yeah. lot, you know. In, in Good Dallas. times. I also was uh, lucky enough to have my work think once, oh, I think it might be that she was in a diabetic, you know. Yeah, was, diabetic yeah. shock or something. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was that was it. <laughs> So that apparently is that the one that happened at work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Who's next? Uh, I guess I'll go. (laughs) I'm like, Brett, I have so many intoxicated ones that that really, like, at the time were so shameful, you know, like, Mm -hmm. carried her so much shame. But one in particular, I remember uh, it was actually like leading up to getting into treatment but I was working and and it was the birth of like as a result of this it was like the birth of one of the best friendships that I have so like could things come out of it mm. <laughs> you know but I I remember taking Xanax and I wasn't like an experienced taker of benzodiazepines so the blackout thing was not super familiar to me. I didn't realize how bad it was. But I decided to, you know, take Xanax and try to work on, try to go to work on Xanax. And I got on a conference call where I wasn't supposed to be the lead on the call in any sense of the word, but I guess I just took over and tried to dominate this conference call with important people on the call while I'm driving in, I'm doing this like on a headset while I'm driving into work, you know, just dangerous, just really bad. And then I get into work and I guess I just made a scene at work. And um, I only remember waking up at home. I don't really remember any of this. Mm-hmm. And I should have been fired, of course, you know, based off that activity of that work. But I had to go back into work the next day and oh man it was the eyeballs right it didn't last very much longer after that eventually I got into treatment um 
but the humiliation of that was just so crazy like <laughs> so strong so i mean i really wanted to never go back there i wanted to just never show back up so that was that was a powerful powerful one hmm. i get that yeah for everyone to see you know like that that's just ugh. and you know fortunately i had a boss at the time that was just like sh- you know should have pulled the plug on it but he was just you know he just he didn't and um you know i there was so much um as a result of that that i benefited from from him sticking in sticking in there with me huh. so and then other ones like not being sober like i i the one i can remember it's just something trivial but i remember being so embarrassed we went to las vegas for a baseball tournament i wasn't playing it was for like the older kids but we were on the bleachers and i was walking down the bleachers and all the girls all the pretty girls were sitting there and the older girls too and i fell and slid down the bleacher stairs and like, bang 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 and it hurt really really bad and i think i was like 13 14 mm-hmm. and getting up and looking back and everyone was just laughing you know and i like walked away and was just so embarrassed and it was so uh, so uncomfortable I remember that yeah (laughs) Yeah. the way the vibe comes off too it's uh, you can feel it still yeah yeah Yeah. all right (laughs) (laughs) good bozo stuff all right you ready yeah, I mean, I'm like I said earlier, I really have never done anything embarrassing. Yeah, I know. I'm not really a bozo, so <laughs> I'm just Sarah. <laughs> You're forgetting it, just Sarah. Yeah. No, I was just kidding. Um, interestingly enough, it's, uh, both Brent and Brady's stories brought up similar stories for me, but they kind of almost like kind of overlap, whatever. Um, so I guess I could just say those in a real... Because that, they weren't the ones I was going to talk about. So in a very brief thing, Brent, I can you know relate with you because I um, I did that a couple times while I was trying to quit drinking where I drink... I couldn't drink at home because my husband always knew if I was drinking at home. And so I resorted to drinking on like my lunch break from work or something in my car and I was lucky enough to never have that exact thing happen where it was, um, you know, the cops weren't called, but my ex um, found me in there a couple mm. times. Um, so I, I, I have to say I was lucky that he was the one to, like it was something where he knew I was maybe drinking, had a bad feeling, I wasn't answering my phone, mm-hmm. and he knew where I would park and stuff at work. Um, and then that turned into, oh crap, now I can't drink in my car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so drink right here. Damn it. Man, I can't drink I can't, can't drink, drink in my car anymore. <laughs> and I never drove anywhere, but I was in my car, you know. Right. Um and then that turned into well now he's gonna check up on me in my car. So you know, I mean oh it's just it's bad memories and I feel embarrassed just talking about it, but and then that was the whole so then at one point I, I drank kind of like on a, a walk instead from working, I like 
inconspicuous in my mind, you know, water bottle type thing. Yeah, water bottle, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah water bottle. Water bottle with vodka. vodka yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Yep, exactly. And when I went back to work, ended up um, like blacking out in the bathroom, and one of my coworkers found me, and you know, ended up. I think finding my phone and being able to call my husband or he just came again, like had another intuition there was something going on and and they that's <laughs> I kind of lucked out where they kind of were a little bit naive, um, the my coworkers <laughs> and didn't even think, at all think that, that it would be something about drinking. Drunk, right? yeah. Exactly. And so when my medical. husband came to pick me up they're like, Oh, is she diabetic? Is she her blood sugar low you know, had all these like questions about health reasons uh-huh. and didn't say anything about you know the the thought that I had maybe been drinking. So again, I had a lot of. You <laughs> kept hush hush on that, is what you're saying? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so well, she's a blackout uh, drunk. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> just want to let you know. <laughs> so then I took a leave of absence right after that to go treatment. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is the old two plus two, you know, equals mm, maybe three point five. <laughs> uh, so and that was all over a, like a couple weeks span. It didn't. It, not a high point of my life so again I, it makes me feel oh and just icky talking about it and thinking about it but um and then the benzo thing reminded me so that kind of was where the work thing intermixed <laughs> with it but then a benzo thing same thing i didn't take them very often i would take them here and there for anxiety and when i was again trying to not drink um i was at a friend's <laughs> cabin for a christmas party and they were all gonna drink but i was trying really hard not to drink and i was you know, borderline, okay, I'm going to go to treatment soon. It was already on my mindset and had been talking about it, but I was still trying to not drink on my own at that point. And so instead... Well, this is right after you and I first met, right? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I meet Paul to do my intake and then and then like a couple of weeks later, and, well, I wasn't drinking. But, <laughs> Way to um, go. Yeah. Awesome. And, I, and I had never taken benzos. <laughs> in a way where that I wasn't supposed to. I had right. never taken them Which with alcohol. Which is fucking pill form. So yeah, exactly. I had never taken them with alcohol. I had never taken more than I was supposed to. I actually usually took half of what I was supposed to. So, um, so again, was not did not know the, you know, how messed up you can really get from benzos and ended up, that was the first and only night I took them in a way of, I have so much anxiety. Here I am. All I want to do is drink uh, all my friends, all my old friends that I've been drinking with for 10 years now are here, they're drinking, they're having fun, and I'm supposed to be sober, this is bullshit. And, you know, so I took some benzos, same thing, I had never experienced that blackout. Like, next thing I know, I'm not at Big Cottonwood Canyon at the cabin anymore, I am home, <laughs> I'm in bed, and my husband at the time, now ex, is pissed. <laughs> and... <laughs> oh. Yeah, the band. There's no you learned after the fact. Yeah, there's just there's yeah. no feeling of like I mean apparently I just you know went and just laid on the bed, but my friends were worried and they didn't know if I drank or what I took, and I mean it's just it just feels really shitty. It's you know, um, <laughs> to be that person and. I'm very grateful to not be that person anymore. And the last one I'll say is just the one I was originally thinking of, um, that before all this really started happening, right before actually was when I first started getting anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't want to believe I had anxiety, or I didn't believe I had anxiety. I, I, was, I was getting tests done, every type of, um, you know, scan and this and that, because I... 
I was like, I have health problems. Like I'm having a problem, but I, it's no, it's not anxiety. Like I feel physical, you know, <laughs> problems. Like, it's physical. It's not it's mental. It's physical. No. It's not mental at all. Yeah. And I was convinced that it wasn't anxiety, even though some people had speculated, like, could it be that? And no, it definitely isn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, your narrative was nope, not anxiety, nope, not, anxiety. not stress. No, nope. nope. Like, and I didn't believe that I. I mean, this is another topic, but I didn't believe that I deserved to be anxious or stressed. Right. Life was right. too good, you know. Too good. Like, right. I, I, I didn't have the the honor of being, you know, anxious or having, you know, mental health problems. You, you so, didn't deserve to be anxious. <laughs> I didn't or stressed, deserve yeah. to have yeah, yeah. issues. Uh, which led into the same thing I kind of felt when I first went into um, into treatment. But anyway, so I'm driving. So I called to the doctor to make an appointment because I'm feeling all these physical symptoms. I'm feeling, you know, sick. I'm feeling I've been feeling lightheaded all day and kept thinking I was going to pass out. And I was having um, really bad heartburn, which, you know, was feeling like it was chest pain. Right. And so I called the doctor and they couldn't get me in. But my sister, lucky enough, had an appointment that day that she's like, take mine and I'll, you know, it was for prescription refill or something so i'm cruising to the doctor i'm on the freeway and start feeling like i'm gonna pass out and so i pulled over on the freeway and as i'm feeling so lightheaded that i think i'm gonna pass out at any minute i call 911 and long story short i end up calling an ambulance i'm so borderline about to pass out and no i hadn't you know i hadn't been drinking or anything this is all so this is my sober (laughs) this is sober yet uh still you know anxiety ridden embarrassing story so, I mean, I ended up calling an ambulance for myself. Couldn't explain to them where I was on the freeway because I was on, like, this, like, on-ramp thing. And I just, I couldn't explain to them. And I'm like, you guys are not going to find me. I'm going to pass out before you can get to me. And so, so I mean, they come. I, my car is left on the freeway. They load me into an ambulance. And, you know, the guy starts asking me some questions about my health. And he says, do you have a history of anxiety? Nope. <laughs> never had anxiety in my life sir (laughs) i get to the hospital have my whole family all worried my parents come my sister comes they do every test again under the sun and the doctor comes in and says you're the healthiest person in this hospital like and then all physically (laughs) yeah physically exactly and then all of a sudden i go shit did i and it just was like this crashing of the realization that maybe i did have Anxiety, mm-hmm. the realization that, you know, maybe I didn't have it all together like I thought I did. And the fact that I just called an ambulance that came to get me on the freeway. My car was left on the freaking on-ramp and my entire family came to the hospital. And I'm spending all this money on this big emergency all over the fact that I had anxiety and yeah. wouldn't admit, admit yeah. that I maybe had anxiety. And that's a beautiful story. It really is. So there is the bozo mess. That's a beautiful bozo story. <laughs> the, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, to be serious about this, but also to be playful at the same time. Anxiety is probably one of the most undiagnosed or at least untreated, you know, mental yeah. uh, mm-hmm. health issues that in in this in in this country, especially. And um, there's plenty of social cultural uh, dynamics of why it is so high right now. It's it's the highest it's probably ever been, even when times where. 
you know, from, from a, a perspective of, um, uh, you know, development goes, um, people didn't always know when their next meal were coming from and, and, you know, what the challenges were with life and those kinds of things. Anxiety is at, at like an all-time high. And it's it, again, it goes undi- undiagnosed and or untreated, or if it is treated, quite often it's treated with benzodiazepines, right. which don't only th- it only treat the symptoms. Exactly, they don't they yeah. don't actually deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Xanax culture. Mm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yep, that was. Let's not make this a regular edition of the <laughs> podcast, yeah, right? I keep yeah. now I keep but going over memory. Oh, oh, thank you. And there was that time. Oh, there was that Speaking one time. Speaking of anxiety, yes. now we're all like highly anxious. No, none of us are going to be mindful the rest of the day. We're just going to feel like shit. No. <laughs> just kidding. The thing about this is that this is this is what makes us human, right? Mm. Are these are, are these are these decisions that we make in the moment that probably I mean for, I mean I gave you a childhood memory, which is probably in some ways a little bit different, but the I mean the the idea that we have the you know those embarrassing moments when we've done stuff, I mean it just it reinforces our bozoness and that that's something we sh- we don't want to lose we don't want to you know exercise our bozoness out of us it's what makes us kind of fun enjoyable people to be around and hopefully i mean if there's anything that comes out of this it's being able to laugh at ourselves right what were you what what are you saying <laughs> oh uh brady may or may not have walked straight into my storm door last night and I wasn't embarrassed, though. Yeah. That's the point. And he was able to laugh at himself. Yeah. yeah so what you were Not saying, I was just like like walking Sarah in the doors. Oh, got it, got it. Not got as it. hard as I like literally fell on the floor laughing, but. Right. I'm approaching desperation for another day. <laughs> Jesus has returned to the building. Okay. Um, well, we took out another short little break there for a moment. Um and uh, to kind of summarize for today, um, you know, what have you, what did you learn today? No, we we, we can we can ask that. Um, but what what I just curious, uh, and, and because talking about these embarrassing moments um, seem to kind of change the mood a little bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know. we all just want to go crawl in a hole. Yeah, we just, we don't, so I mean, awesome, you know. But but that's that's still the power of shame. I mean, a little bit, you know, the embarrassment piece, though. Um, and and then we all, you know, that, that's something we all still relate to, right? Um, we have empathy for seeing somebody that remembers something that's embarrassing about themselves, because you know, I mean. Do is something wrong with me because I I did these things? You know, is there, was there something wrong with me that I was you know jerking off as an eight seven eight year old kid in in my bedroom? That probably not. Um, that's what kids do, right? Well, adults do too, I guess. Um, but my my point is is that when I you know we all have under the influence stories, and you know I have plenty of them as well. Do those stories define who we are, really? I mean, as human beings. Um, And this maybe goes back to, I mean, where we started today is, you know, the past, right? And where we are today as far as the progress. So, you know, ending with this, I think I like the idea of it because 
it's like that was a time, you know, for whatever it was, where our humanness was was quite fallible, and um, and we uh, we really demonstrated a high level of absurdity in our lives, mm-hmm. irrational thinking, <laughs> and probably some well. Lack of mindfulness, Absolutely. which is all the things we've talked about doing Major today, lack of right? Yeah. So, you know, go, go, sort of like let's leave all that here, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and move on. But I think we should decide, or at least think who who had the the best bozo story today, you know, and well, uh, who should be the bozo king or queen? I mean, one, one thing masturbating I'm, at six, I think wins. One thing I wanted to because you mentioned the mood changing, um, not on who had the best one. I like Brent's story about being passed out, um, <laughs> but arrested. Yeah. I think I think in sharing the story, it, it kind of shown shown a spotlight on an opportunity for some further acceptance and growth. Because yes. me personally. I got five seconds into that first story mm-hmm. and realized I didn't want to be sharing this story. Oh, perfect! <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, that I was still ashamed way. of it. That mm-hmm. I and I and I was and then I suddenly I, I had that moment where I paused and I looked at you guys and I was like, shit! I have to forge on now because I've started to share this story, but it made me like just uncomfortable because it took me back. It made me f- relate to that experience because it was me you know what I mean uh-huh. and so yeah, I, I just was found that kind of profound was, yeah uh, and me trying not to sucked. care <laughs> yeah. be mindful and, and also not care about what other people think and one of my first thoughts after sharing the story which is what I said out loud was oh shit I, f- I feel that in my gut you know like I feel that same shame you know and and so same thing I was like why the hell did I just say those <laughs> number one and number two I thought that even more when I thought Oh, who's going to listen to this podcast? And now, you know, I have to have that. <laughs> I was, and, 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 but I mean, I feel at peace with it now. All of a sudden, just stepping it, it down and going, hey, where am I today? And like, these things don't define me, I guess, is the point. And I, and I can't say that, but for a moment, I just. It was kind of <laughs> like, like a, a spiral because I, I had that thought. I was like, God, I shouldn't have picked this one. <laughs> I've got an arsenal to pick from. How did I pick the best one? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It was so perfect. Each one that you guys picked, it was, it was, it, there are no accidents. There are no accidents. And, and the, the, wow. The cool part or the beauty part of this is just learning to transcend shame. I mean, this is so much like addiction. Shame is there. That's why they're so correlated together. And I mm-hmm. kind of see one creates the other. I mean, this is a, such a great opportunity to work on transcending shame. And and I, you know, I don't know how we work that into a mindfulness practice just off the top of my head. Um, but I will say that maybe one way, at least it's an opportunity to work on non-attachment appreciation, because the these are things that, that, that you know, we, we did. Um, and they're not, they don't define who we are. And that's sort of the, the great part about it is that unless I choose to let myself be that, you know, six, seven year old boy, you know, who was embarrassed by his sister. I mean, that's not who I am today. And I'm, you know, in fact, not being, not feeling that way about these things and not feeling like I have any secrets that are going to somehow people are going to judge me for if they, they want to. 
That's not about me. That's about them. This comes back to the very first thing we were mm-hmm. talking about today. It's like scorekeeping. If you gave somebody something that they get to scorekeep you about, that's not about you. That's their problem. And then you can be, maybe that comes into, those are people that don't aren't in your hang around list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, they're the dragger downers. Dragger downers. <laughs> so... Take a breath, feel the freedom. Don't let don't the the concept is don't let these things be something that define you, but that do allow you to acknowledge your bozoness, and and to be comfortable with that. I don't. I I mean, honestly, I don't. I don't think anything differently of of any of you, and I don't know if you think differently of me because of my story. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I want you. Individual image. Sorry about that, but you know, I mean that the yeah, yeah. sex is always a difficult one because you know people have images, right? You can imagine you know being in the bathroom passed out. You can imagine being in the car passed out. Mm. You can imagine being at work and and doing that. I have a great work one too. I'm not going to go through it today, but that I just made a complete fool of myself and I didn't know it till really the next day <laughs> when my supervisor came in and went so what happened at last night's training I put you in charge of <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you're like, what training? <laughs> <laughs> I was there was a training? <laughs> marketing, yeah, for brokers anyway. I'll tell you that some other time. We'll, we don't have time for that today, but anyway. All right. Um, we will. Uh, we're going to bring it to a close here. You guys, uh, we'll see you in six, seven weeks, and uh, we'll see where we Absolutely. are with our mindfulness uh, that we're working challenge, on. The mindfulness challenge. Yeah, the mi- mind- mindfulness challenge on eating, driving, communication, and brushing our teeth. So, all right. Who knows? Maybe you guys will be levitating when you walk back in yeah. here next next time. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's so good to see you all. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next weekend. It's I call them the pros from Dover. Uh, (laughs) It's another Bozo Roundtable, but with (laughs) some even stranger people. Okay. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. 